Welcome to the Fin Nation podcast, where we wholeheartedly believe women entrepreneurs are leaders that rise together. Success does not have a definition. There are no secret strategies. Women entrepreneurs are rewriting history by defining success on their own terms. Hi, I'm your host, White Gannon, the down-to-earth chick with a different name. Each week, join me for inspiring stories and powerful interviews of women entrepreneurs sharing their lessons to success to help you take your business to the next level. Now, let's go for it. Welcome back to Fem Nation. Guys, I have such a fun guest today. Julie Allen is a CEO of Mary Rose Boutique and also the founder of Mary Rose Foundation. I'm excited to hear more about that, but always enjoy listening to the entrepreneurial journeys as do you all listening in today. So thank you, Julie, for coming on today. Thank you. I am very excited to be here. Well, let's just get the conversation rolling. How did your entrepreneurial journey begin? So my background is actually in healthcare. So I was a physical therapist assistant. Yeah, I know. It's so funny. Um, Prior to opening (laughs) my own business. So this was four, five years ago now. Um, And so I was working in physical therapy and then I had my first baby. I had my first baby Mm -hmm. and I decided that I did not want to go back to work doing PT. I mean, I, healthcare is, it's just a different ball game. And I was for sure. Yeah. I was burnt out like without getting into too much detail there. I was just burnt out on it. And I was fortunate Mm -hmm. enough that my husband said my, my partner, he said, like, I don't have to go back right away after having my son. He's like, just take some time. Like, you know, I was a little older when I had kids. So I really wanted to just enjoy like being a mom. And I went clothes shopping six weeks after I had Everett. I know PSA don't do that. That was like the worst. I mean, it was in hindsight, the worst and the best decision I ever made Um, because I went clothes shopping and I was in that fitting room and like, obviously nothing fits. I was six weeks postpartum. Nothing is supposed to. Right. But that's not what stuck out to me. It was that the messages that were around me in that fitting room in the mall, in the stores was that something was wrong with my body. Yeah. I mean, and that's like that diet culture thing. I had a very uh, long journey with an eating disorder growing up, anorexia, bulimia for like 15 years. Um, So basically my entire like early adolescent into my early adulthood was consumed with an eating disorder. I've been in recovery for now over 10. Um, But still that like, that like diet culture stuff is just everywhere. And it is so evident when you're clothes shopping and I felt really bad about myself. So I was in that fitting room, you know, my boobs are leaking. I'm crying. Like there's a baby screaming. Like, it's just a, it's a hot mess. It is. But I decided then I was like, I'm going to open up a clothing store. That's going to be different. I want to open a store that is welcoming and inclusive and embraces all bodies because our bodies are not one size like our, and that's what this diet culture obsessed society that we live in teaches us that there is one standard of beauty, one size. If you do not fit into this one tiny little box, then something is wrong with you. And I call bull, I call bull. And it was then like, I decided at that point, I was like, I'm going to open up a store about a year later. It took me about a full year. You know, I had a newborn and everything um, to like actually get the ball going, but we opened um, the storefront, excuse me. we opened the boutique about a year later. I started online only. And then within about nine months or so, we outgrew my, my house. Cause I was just, I had like 
when I started, I had like two racks of clothing in my bonus room in our house. And within nine months, it was like, it was too much. And so, yeah, it was awesome. Um, And we opened up a storefront in uh, downtown Oregon city, which is just outside of Portland, Oregon, Um, cute little main street area. But yeah, the whole premise has always been like empower people in all bodies to feel beautiful. Right. Which is extremely, uh, extremely necessary message anyway, because like you said, the industry, the, the even gosh, media, everything, everything perpetuates that something needs to be done and we have to adjust, but what's wrong. I mean, what ultimately is creating that is what is desire, pushing the desire and fuel for the financial, you know, for them, it's not actually to better the people. The diet industry is um, like a 70 billion million dollar. I can't remember mm-hmm. exactly industry a year. And like, <laughs> that's a red flag. Like Huge. that should be a pretty big red flag for all of us. So like, yeah, this is, there's a, there's a lot I can say about diet culture and the impact that it has on our society. Yeah. Really. It's bad. It's not good. It's bad. So where did your journey take you from once you opened it? What did you learn along the way? stepping in, you know, because obviously stepping into entrepreneurship is different than working in healthcare completely, you know, as it should be, it's not the same, the neither one are the same, but obviously there would have to have been a learning curve for you somewhere along that journey, aside from, you yeah. know, the learning curve of, of motherhood or right. parenting, right. But I'm, I'm laughing because it has been, okay. So here's the timeline. We open the storefront. December, 2018. Okay. We had about a full year in the storefront, um, you know, just kind of going along, like learning who our customer was and all that. And then March, 2020 happened. Right. Right. Like, so we, I was thinking about this. That has almost been two years now. Like we've, the storefront has been open for three years. Two of those years has been during a pandemic. Like it is just I mean, the whole journey has just been like from here to here. I'm I'm making like hand motions with my hands, like very up and down. Sorry, forgot that I'm not on video. Um, (laughs) But it has definitely been a major, major learning curve. And I will be the first to admit, like I I had had no idea what I was doing, none Mm. on the business level. And I will say the thing that helped me the most was quickly figuring out what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are and hiring those weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know what I do well and I know what I suck at. Like if you get put me in front of an accounting thing, I will fall asleep within two seconds flat. Like I hate <laughs> That's it. Fair. That's I fair. hate it so much. Um, but our, our general manager has like um, 10 plus years experience at a corporate corporate level. Right. And so she, picks up the slack where I'm, and it's not picks up the slack. It's like, we very much compliment one another. Nice. Um, and like, I can't do everything. And I think that that's a pretty, um, I had to learn that lesson quick. Well, that's a big lesson too, because as nurturers, uh, you know, as go-getters, as creatives, as, you know, risk takers, entrepreneurship's a risk-taking uh, adventure, as well mm-hmm. as a wonderful personal development um, opportunity. Uh, but in doing that, 
we have to recognize that we cannot do all the things because that is what leads to burning out. And I know burning out is a very cliche term to use in the industry or even in the in general when it comes to business, but it's a real thing. It, it is absolutely a real thing. And we don't catch it because we just keep going forward, 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 doing, 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 picking up the pieces and trying to keep them going. And all of a sudden we look back, we're like, holy crap, I'm trying to do all this and I can't do all this. And that is okay. And the pay, I mean, to be perfectly honest, the pandemic has been hard. Like for sure. I mean, and I, I know that that's for everybody. Um, running a small business with small children, it's been incredibly stressful. And something I didn't mention was the, um, so prior to early this year, we were, we ran more on a, like a fast fashion model, which is a whole nother topic outside of the diet culture. Um, a whole nother issue with the fashion industry is this fast fashion, this idea of overconsumption. And again, mm. you are not good enough as you are. You need to buy more things like, and, you have, and keep buying new things you know, keep and buying. more things. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then it's old after one or two wears, like, right it's you, you can't rewear an outfit. Um, and we operated on that, on that model. Um, it's the status quo in the fashion industry. Like it's, it's what everybody does. And we actually did really well during early 2020, like, um, excuse me, the whole year of 2020, we doubled our revenue from 2019 during the pandemic with an infant. And I have a four-year-old too. So it was like, the whole thing was just absolutely wild, but it was early January this year, 2021. And I started like looking in to the fashion industry. I I'm not, I don't even know what initially prompted me to look into it. What I do remember was we had a, um, so we had our storefront and then we also had about a 5,000 square foot warehouse um, just because our online was so, um, our storefront was very minimally operative. Portland, Oregon has always had a lot of COVID um, guidelines and which is great. Mm -hmm. Love love the COVID guidelines. Um, But we operated mostly online. And so we had a large, large warehouse and I walked in there one day and for some reason I just saw for the first time, like, oh my gosh, like plastic was literally everywhere. So when you get like a box of clothes in from a vendor, they come individually wrapped in a thing of plastic. And on a plastic hanger. And again, status quo for the industry. Like this is pretty much what every vendor does. And we didn't have enough space in our um, warehouse area, like shared trash can with everybody. So we have this corner, this large corner in the warehouse that had plastic because we couldn't fit it all in the trash can. Right. And I just remember seeing it for the first time and being like, oh my gosh, like we we've always been worked really hard to be size inclusive and fight the diet culture aspect of the industry. And then I realized I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing all this work over here to fight diet culture. What am I doing for the environment, for the people that are making these clothes? And it was like, so then I started looking into it and I was like, oh my gosh, do you know how bad the fashion industry is? It's the second biggest contributor to overall waste and pollution in the world second to oil. Oil. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. It's really, really bad. And there's like three main issues with, with fashion in general. Um, the first one, first and foremost, and in my opinion is the humans, 
when we talk mm-hmm. about like the supply chain, because there's been so much talk about the supply chain, especially lately. And like, you know what the supply chain is? It's humans. These are humans that are like gathering materials and like making clothes. I'm like, the supply chain's jacked up. I'm like, these are human beings we're talking about right now. So mm-hmm. human beings are not like child labor is a real thing that like really actually exists. And then we also have like the environmental pollution. And then we've got like landfills being filled up at an unbelievable pace. So I started looking, I was like, oh my God, I can't do this. Like, I can't do this. And so we switched our entire business model early 2021 to like slow fashion, ethical fashion. Like we vet every single vendor that comes into our shop now. And it has been, it's, it has been a journey it has been a to, journey. To say the least, uh, share a little bit more of what slow fashion, for those of us that aren't in the industry, I, we, I can kind of grasp what you're, you know, what that looks like, but give me some specifics. Tell mm-hmm. me what that looks like that you focus on, say that needs to meet these criteria to be slow fashion. Yeah. So ma- materials that something are made out of is one big thing. A good portion of our clothes are made out of polyester. Um, it's cheap to produce. It it holds up well. It washes well. It's it's typically pretty soft to the touch. Um, so a large portion of our clothes are made out of polyester, but that, my friend, is plastic. Right. We're wearing plastic, and that's not even the worst part of it. It's in making of the clothes, in manufacturing the clothes, chemicals are emitted from the polyester. Mm. So there's chemicals being emitted. Constantly. And then, like I mentioned before, a majority of our clothes end up in a landfill. And so polyester does not biodegrade in a landfill. It takes over 200 years for it to break down. And that entire time, it's emitting chemicals and toxins into the air. So we're like literally polluting our air with the clothes that we're wearing that we've tossed away. Um, and so the material is one big aspect of slow fashion. There's um, like eco-friendly materials like, like organic cotton. Um, Tencel is one, which is made out of um, a eucalyptus um, tree. Hemp. Oh, my God. I love hemp so much. Um, it's a good material. And there's there's bamboo. Like there's alternatives to polyester, but we don't even like think about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So slow fashion takes into account the material that something is made out of and also the fair and living wage of the people that made the clothes, which, I mean, all of those things are super important, but my heart is in humans, like with humans, because like, if you don't, it's just not right. It's, it's absolutely not right. And there's just so many, so many issues with, with it that we've, we changed, I mean, our entire business model and we lost probably 70% of our customers during this transition. It's been, it's been a tough year. Because of the cost difference? The cost difference. And I also started just being a little bit more vocal about everything. Um, People don't like to be called out on things um, and doing, doing that, like standing up, we made our, um, we made our mission for the boutique like crystal clear. Um, we have three pillars and it's sustainability, inclusion, and social justice. Um, and when you start talking about any one of those things, it it's polarizing. It's polarizing. And it, I have no regrets in doing that at all because it's 
to me, I, I think more businesses are going to be doing that in the future. I think that's just where we are as a society. Like we want to know where we're putting our money and we want to know, um, you know, I would much rather give my money to a business that is doing, working to do good in the world as opposed to flying spaceships. Yes. Well, and uh, yeah, precisely. Uh-huh. It's a whole different podcast topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> that aside, <laughs> we're just going to, we're, we're going to broach that for a second. Well, yeah. we're gonna move yeah, right we know what that means. Yes. <laughs> um, but, but that being said though, um, standing for something is more important than metrics of sales or, I mean, agree again, sales that that's the driver, right? That's what keeps a business open and keeps a business moving in the direction that it's going. But at the same time, we live in a time where you have to put your values. You have to be willing as an entrepreneur to put your values front and center so that people can know who they're, they're spending their money with and choose to spend money with those values towards those values. But again, it gives us a sense of community as well, that we're working towards a common good, a goal, something that is changing just by the the need and the desire for a, a financial exchange is working towards changing the world and they're contributing with their dollars. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I think, especially since the pandemic started, um, yes. I, we're really seeing a major shift in businesses. Just the way that, or entrepreneurship in general, like people want to know yes. where they're spending their money. And I mean, I'm one of them. Like I will you know, I, I will research like on a personal level, like take the business side out of it. Like it, you know, I will not spend my money at certain companies anymore because of their shady yeah. practices or, or whatnot. So transparency is a huge, um, huge thing. And I think it's only going to like, I'm really excited for this time in um, business ownership because yes, like we used to be able to, or we used to, it was almost like, again, the status quo of like separating, right? And I was told mm-hmm. that, I was like, you don't want to talk about this stuff because it's going to affect your bottom line. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. Can I say that? Right. Okay. You're totally fine. Okay. Cause I don't give a shit. I'm sorry. I like, I I don't care. Like I, I don't care. And my husband, he was like, you know, you're going to, you're probably going to lose your whole business. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm going to find my people. That's right. And, um, and we have, we have, we're still here we're still here and it has been hard and it has been draining. And there's many days when I'm like, shit, what have I done? But at the end of the day, like I can go to sleep knowing that I'm working towards making this world a better place. And the vendors that we choose to bring on at the boutique, like are also working to make the world a better place. Um, and I, 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 businesses need to. It's a common allyship to a degree. You know, I mean, everybody, but at the same time, everybody knows where you stand and they can choose to support that in the business through that business model or choose to not. And that's freely their choice to do Absolutely. so, but there's no question. Yep. No question. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It builds also trust and, uh, I believe a deeper relationship between, the consumer and the the business owner, which becomes a longer standing. So if you want to talk metrics about it, you know, the lifetime value of a client or, you know, yeah. all those things that fortifies it. Yeah. We have a very loyal client base. 
very, very loyal. And I mentioned earlier that we lost a lot of customers, you know, for multitude mm-hmm. reasons because of the sure. switch in the company, you know, every, everything, a lot yeah. of reasons. But the the clients that we do have, like, they are my people. They are our people. Tell me about the foundation. Yes. Where does that fit in with this? And and I'm assuming it parallels somewhere, but tell me about that. Yeah. So we have a nonprofit, the Mary Rose Foundation. And I started that um, about six months or so after the boutique. Um, so they're roughly the same old. The, the boutique's obviously just a little bit older. Um, so the Mary Rose Foundation funds treatment plans for people with eating disorders. I mentioned I had struggled with anorexia and bulimia for about 15 years growing up. The cost of treatment is unbelievable. Anorexia actually has the highest mortality rate of all mental illness. There's, yeah, it's true. I know it's amazing. mm, There's so many misconceptions about um, eating disorders. Um, But yes, cost of treatment is exponential. Like it is through the roof expensive. It costs between $1,500 and $2,200 a day. Yeah. For residential treatment for somebody that does not have insurance, even when you have insurance, a lot of people have very high deductibles as well, but there's, there's so many barriers to people accessing treatment and cost is just one of them. So the Mary Rose foundation works to provide treatment scholarships for people, um, portion of all sales at the boutique donated to the nonprofit in 2020, we did three scholarships for people in that like on those hard, on those hard business days, when it's like, what have I done? What, what am I doing here? The nonprofit is what keeps me going because Mm -hmm. like, these are people's lives that we are impacting and treatment saved my life on a multitude of occasions. If it weren't for, um, some of the treatment centers that, that I personally went to, like, I really don't think I would be here. Um, I just wouldn't. And so treatment saved my life. Um, And I always had this idea when I was going through treatment again, 10, 15 years ago that like I was going to pay my parents back someday, like, cause my, I have wonderful parents and they, they were on top of it and they put me in hospital. They put me wherever I needed to go. And so I thought I was like, someday I'm going to pay them back. Cause they took out a second mortgage on their house to pay for me to go to treatment. What it ended up doing was like, I'm paying them, I'm paying it forward in an entirely different way now. And just having that nonprofit really um, makes those hard business days worth it because, you know, at the end of the day, like what you're working towards and what, you know, you're striving to do. And so 2020, we did three treatment scholarships, 2021 this year, we've done a lot more work on the education and prevention aspect of it. So we've developed um, youth programs um, where we have a local community group for young uh, teens, tweens, um, focuses on body acceptance and just empowering our, our youth to love and accept themselves as they are, because you can fund treatment scholarships all day long. But if you're not hitting that prevention side, right. that's, yeah. Well, and they're getting, I mean, the youth of today are getting bombarded with so So much much that even since the pandemic started two years ago, it's even exponentially more now we have, we have teens, um, our kids are in the teenage years and it's just, I watch that I'm diligent with it and I don't micromanage it. I allow them to be teens as well. But at the same time, we have 
huge open communication channels and nothing is off topic. Nobody's going to get scolded or you can't think, you can't think this or you're not supposed to, because the way I was raised is different than with, you know, the, the culture and the world that they're being raised in. And I have to accept that and recognize it and move through it with them essentially to be able to navigate that. Because I only imagine that's me as one parent, right? And I'm being hyper aware of it. I can only imagine those that don't have the bandwidth to even be that as aware as I've been capable of being. And then the teens that, you know, they come at, the parents are just like, we've got a crisis, we've got a problem. Now what? You know, but being able to talk about the conversation on the prevention side of it too, you're going to cover both sides of that coin and be able to help multiple multiple people. Yeah, that's the, that's, that is the goal. That is the goal. So we've, we implemented it this year. So we just started um, right, right around the school year started when we started the um, being able to actually implement the program. Cause there's, there's a lot of work that goes into building yes, there is. Yes, education there is. program with a nonprofit. Um, so the goal for next year is to be able to expand it because these like, again, if we're the pandemic, like that has been so it's been hard on all of us. Yes, it has. But the teens and the tweens, like they don't have, like their brains are not fully developed. Like, yes. And uh, so they just need that support and they need some, someone to tell them, Hey, you know, you're going to be okay. Like you're going to be okay. That's, that's been the goal of this year for that. Well, so that they feel seen and heard and Mm -hmm. not shamed or, you know, just bullied for it. And and there are some well-intentioned adults that don't intend to bully, but at the same time, that's what ends up coming because they're pushing, you know, their lack of knowledge, they're pushing that forward. And that's my, that's my stand is that I very much consciously want to make sure I'm not driving something based on my lack of perception or something. So I consume things and I listen to them and we talk about things, but, but making sure though, that, that those teens and those children and those um, young adults and even older adults for that matter that are now having to process through looking back saying, holy crap, I didn't see it for what it was then, but they have a resource. They have opportunities. They're being heard. They're not being uh, sidelined for it. Gosh, that's huge, huge work. And I applaud your efforts there and very, very special. It's, we also have a we, we're calling it adult supporters of kids because we we, we want to move away from using the term parent because kids need one adult in their lives. It doesn't yes. matter if you gave birth to that human or not. Very true. We have an, an adult supporter of teens, tweens group uh, virtually that we run to. And that's been such a great thing because like as an adult, like we have to like heal ourselves. Right. So we can be there for our kids. Like our, our generation, like, and my parents, you know, our parents, like we've just been inundated with this diet culture. Like my mom, she was on a diet her whole life. Like, and that's just what they did. It was just, again, the stupid status quo. I hate the status quo. And so in order for us to like be there for our kids and say, you know what, this is, you don't have to live like this. Like you are okay just as you are. Like you don't have to check these boxes, like be whoever you are on the inside. Um, but we have to like heal ourselves and like 
look at ourselves and say like, okay, maybe I need to heal my relationship with food. Maybe I need to heal my relationship with my body in order to be a good example for our kids. And like, that's a pretty big motivator for a lot of people um, in working on like healing them, their own issues with food in their body. Mm -hmm. How would you define success for the boutique and the foundation? What does that look like for you? What are your goals and aspirations with that? The boutique. So we actually um, are starting our own clothing line because mm, let me tell you why it was actually (laughs) never a goal of mine. It wasn't, it was not a goal of mine until last January. And I was like, okay, we are going to work only with vendors that are sustainable and inclusive and like size inclusive. Right. Which does not mean a size large, just FYI. Um, Guess what? They hardly exist. Hardly exist. So sustainable, ethically made clothes, very, very seldom go above a size large. 70% oh. of people identifying as women in the States are above a size 14, size 14 or above. I did not know that. Yeah. You just knocked out 70% of the woman population by not making the clothes above a size large. And I'm like, what the hell? What the hell? And yeah. so we're making our own. So we're making our own. We're set to launch in spring. So that is my big goal um, as of right now with the with the storefront is we're focusing on our own line because good Lord. And, but you know what? I don't know what really ticks me off is I was thinking, I was like, why is this? Like, why would sustainable and ethical clothes not be made in extended sizing? Like, you know, it's a valid question. Like, why? Sure. So I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? It's diet culture. And diet culture is the equation, equating living in a smaller body to moral superiority. Ooh, that's the definition of diet culture. And so by not making sustainable clothing in extended sizing, you're basically saying people that live in larger bodies don't care about that, right? Right. It's that moral superiority of living in a smaller body in our society. And it's just, it's just, it's just crap. Like at the end of the day, I'm like, this is just stupid. This is just stupid because our body size has nothing to do with morals. It has nothing to do with anything. And that's, it just, it just goes back to diet culture on that. So yes, Mm -hmm. that's the goal with the um, boutique is to really focus on building up our line, um, which is set to launch in March. 2022, which I can't like, we're getting our first samples in, um, they were expected last week and they're coming from LA. So we're in Portland, they're coming from LA and they were expected last week and they got delayed. No, (laughs) you were so excited for them too. I'm sure I was, I am so excited for a sample. So we're starting with the seven piece collection. Um, I'm calling it sexy minimalism because I love it. feel like calling that's like my muse in my head. It's like the sexy minimalist. Um, So yeah, I'm really, really excited about that. And the nonprofit, the foundation, the goal is to do at least one treatment scholarship. Like I I just want to do one treatment scholarship by the end of the year. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that is the goal because we've we've switched focus this year to do really get that education program going. So 2022, we'll be doing both, like growing the education program and making sure we're able to fund people's treatment because people need, people need both. Right. They do need both. Are you going to be sharing your uh, samples online when you mm-hmm. get them? Oh, I please am. do. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. Like 
I decided I wanted to make my own line. I believe it was last March ish or so. So it's been, you know, nine months or so of like doing the sketches, like finding the, finding the material. And it's been, there's just so many things I didn't know. And here we are. Well, you hit the ground running when you decided to be an entrepreneur. You didn't just go in to be an entrepreneur. You're like, okay, yeah, got it. We're going to, we're doing this, but we're going to change the freaking world. Well, you do, there's so many, there's just so many issues. There's so many. I know. Issues. I know. Oh my, I know. I got to fix this. Like, okay, here we go. Like status quo. Goodbye. Status quo. Like no more, no more. Like we're, we're not doing this anymore. Like just because this is the way something has always been done does not mean we have to keep doing it. And like the feminine, the feminine, um, energy, the, just women, um, I'm here. I'm here for this because this is, it's yes. going to be good. Like I've got a really good feeling about the future. I really do. Well, and you've got such a big heart. I mean, just even hearing you talk about both sides of the work that you're doing, it's huge, you know, and I can, I feel that though, you know, even though we're talking at to each other in a screen, you know, on zoom, I feel that though, that you're so passionately care for what it is you're working on and the lives that can change. It's not talk. It's not just, you know, spewing out something that sounds good in today's marketing world. You truly embrace this and embody that. And I'm getting that just from this interview. Thank you. I really, well, thank I really you for appreciate stepping that. Being bold. <laughs> like we're I just, we're going to, we're going to change stuff because yes, it's you time. are. It's time. Yes, it's time. Are. It's time. How did the entrepreneurial journey change you as a person? Ooh, so, so much, so much. I, struggled with an eating disorder for a very long time growing up. I have um, obsessive compulsive disorder, which predated my eating disorder. Right. So that's like anxiety and like all the things. And I was, I hated myself during that time in my eating disorder. Like I didn't think that I was worthy of a life. There's a lot, a lot of things that happened, you know, during that, during those 15 years. Um, And the point that I was at was I had to make a decision to recover or I was not going to be here anymore. And, oh, another thing about anorexia is I mentioned that it has the highest mortality rate of all mental illness. Roughly half of those deaths are from suicide. Oh, gosh. It is there's a lot of misconceptions about eating disorders. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, people who are struggling with an eating disorder do not like themselves. Like if I had to sum it up, like I, I truly, truly hated myself. And so that person that like scared person, you know, curled up in that hospital bed, just wanted to die. And it has taken a lot of lot of years of therapy, a lot of years of just learning how to forgive myself and learning how to treat myself with compassion that has kind of brought me, brought me forward. And then when I started my, my journey as being an entrepreneur, I definitely was not very confident. Um, I knew what I wanted to do, but it was very much like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know you know, I didn't know. And a motto that I adopted um, in my last treatment center. So I was like 20, 21 years old. And 
something I adopted was do one thing every day that scares you. And back then it was like, okay, well, I'm going to eat a bite of food and I'm not immediately going to go to the bathroom or do, do whatever eating disorder behavior I was doing at the time. And just slowly, slowly, slowly over the years, I mean, it's been 15 years now and still doing one thing every day that scares me. Like I'm not scared anymore. I'm not afraid to, you know, write that fiery post on how effed up something is. I'm not afraid to do that. Like I, I just don't, I don't care anymore. Cause I kind of, I've just built that bravery muscle, that courage muscle up over the, over the years, but it really does start small. Um, so my, my confidence has just, I'm very confident now and I know who I am and I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, so it has, it has absolutely helped my confidence and my just knowing who I am. It's been, a, I love being an entrepreneur. Like I, I don't like being told what to do. I don't I just, I like to just like, I mean, the status quo, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. And you so found like, you. Yeah. Like I'm gonna make my own rules now. That's and I nice. joke sometimes I'm like, who's gonna fire me? Like if I do some, <laughs> Uh, your journey is amazing though. And, and sometimes they're just people cross paths such as this, this episode and the opportunity to get to know each other, that it's such a, such a wonderful opportunity to be in your presence and to feel you and to see you and to really understand the work that you're putting behind this because we've been connected online, you know? And so I, I see, you know, as everybody does when they connect to something, you know, it's not like you're diving focused in, you know, you're not really in tune to what all of it is unless you take the time to research, but this gives such an opportunity. I'm just like, Oh, I want to see you go crush it. I want to go. I want to see you. I, I just, now I have this intense desire to follow that story that, you know, your mission. Yeah. I, I, this 2021 has been a year of like figuring, even figuring out who we are as a business, like what are our values? Like how, how are we going to make a viable business? Like when we're not doing all the things that are very typical in the retail world. And so we've, we know who we are like as a business, we know who we are in 2022. I, I just have a breakout. Yeah. Yeah. It's time. It's time. We've done a lot of prep work. I've got I have a wonderful team, wonderful team, like as an entrepreneur, like having those people in your, in your circle, in your court that can complement what you're not good at. It's, it's fine. Um, so, so critical in the world of running a business. So tell me, tell the audience, where can they find you and follow you and see, see you grow and take on these amazing, these amazing, um, opportunities in this world to change it. Tell them our Instagram is the best place. And that's just at maryrose.boutique. And that's also our website as well. So maryrose.boutique on Instagram and as a website. Thank you. Will they be able to link over to the foundation from there? So they can link to the foundation and to our new line is called hope continues. Hope continues. I know. I love it too. I'm like, hope it continues. So hope continues is our new line. It's uh, size inclusive. We're making sizes extra small through five X. It's all manufactured. Well, local to us is relatively LA. So we're, we, you know, we work with the housing, um, not a housing house, all of our, um, everything in LA. Um, and yeah, hope continues and it all links in maryrose.boutique. 
Julie, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you, you know. hear your journey and, you know, just feel the fire that comes from within you to make a difference. And I know you will. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Guys, check out the show notes and follow Julie and see see her grow, see the change that she makes in this world and know that you can make a difference in your world as well just by hearing the stories and being inspired by what other women are doing in this, you know, to change, change the narrative, change the the old thought processes, change the patterns and make it better. So I invite you to check out the show notes, connect with Julie, and as always, keep moving forward. Thanks for listening to the Femination podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, have a no BS place to ask your business questions, and connect with like-minded women entrepreneurs, join the Fem community, our free group on Facebook. And don't forget to check out the next 21-day challenge at www.becomeunstoppablechallenge.com. Let's crack the door to what's possible when you begin leading yourself first. If you love this show, subscribe and share it with a friend. If this episode impacted you, it would mean the world to me if you left a review so others know what's possible by listening. I'm already looking forward to the next episode with you.